0: Well good morning everyone. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. My name is Joel and I am one of the pastors here at Res City. Uh, We are in the middle of a sermon series that we are going to be kind of going to be taking up most of the fall here uh, through the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling it Countercultural Kingdom and we're reflecting on uh, this sort of the sermon that Jesus gives us, which kind of is, is laying out for us what it means to follow Him, and at times it's it's radical, it's challenging, it's very informative, and we just wanted to lean into that um, as we sort of uh, think through, like, how do we engage with the world around us, um, especially as it as it changes, as it uh, seems to be a place that maybe seems foreign to us sometimes, um, and so we are kind of just going back to the basics in a lot of ways, and uh We are going through some passages that, you know, maybe are pretty familiar to you, um, if you've read the Bible a bunch in your life, um, but we're kind of trying to take a fresh look at them, and we'll be doing that today with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, So let me pray for us real quick, and then we'll hop into it. Father, we thank you uh, for another Sunday to gather here together, to study your word, to um, hear from you on what it means for us to follow after you, to be part of uh, the work that you're doing in the world, to restore all things, to make all things new, God. Um, give us wisdom, give us uh, courage to uh, live that out in our lives, Lord, and to and help this really seep in, into our hearts, God, as we, uh, as we meditate on this and ask what it means for us in our daily lives, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so like I said, we are going to be talking through the Lord's Prayer today. And in a, in a passage full of famous passages, the Sermon on the Mount, this might be one of the most famous. Uh, I think you can make a pretty good argument for that. Christians have prayed the words of this prayer for, you know, all 2,000 plus years that we have been doing this thing uh, called Christianity. Uh, it is the oldest and most important Christian prayer. Um, we prayed as a church once a month together, and many people prayed daily uh, as part of their normal routines. Um, Jesus literally says, when you pray, pray like this. Okay? It's pretty, pretty basic, right? A lot of people have taken that seriously and have, have lived that out. And even though I've read this many times, like a lot of you probably have, something that struck me was something I noticed that I, you know, had, I not really ever noticed before when I was studying for this sermon today. And, and that's this, okay? Within the context of the whole passage, the, 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 this isn't the main point of the passage, which I thought was really interesting. Um, the commentator uh, R.T. France, um, who kind of pointed this out, and got me thinking about it for the first time. He says, the prayer here is actually a, he calls it a literary digression. So so what he means is like, the point of the passage isn't actually prayer, it's something else. So what's it doing there? I want us to talk a little bit today about what, what it's doing there. And I want us to think about it a little bit like this. So, a very important uh, you know, thing in society, I think, is, is occupational or physical or you know, speech therapy. These different types of uh, professions that sort of help people who have had some injury or disease to kind of recover. Right? And so, you know, maybe you've gone through that at some point in your life. My guess is, you know, most of the people in this room probably have seen a PT or, or occupational therapist or something about, about something. And at Res City, we actually have, you know, multiple people who work in this field. Um, I'm not an expert at all on these professions, but the goal, as I understand it, is to help people to kind of relearn how to do their occupations or their everyday activities um, after an injury or disease. Sometimes a very serious one. So like you hear stories about people who have been in a car accident and they, you know, can't really walk or drive a car again afterwards, but PTs help them to sort of strengthen their body so they can do those things again. You know, maybe not quite the same as before, but as as much as they're physically able to do. Or maybe sometimes, you know, all the way back again. Um, You have people with strokes who can't talk right, afterwards, and they need to have someone to help them kind of learn to speak again, right? Someone has this actual job of helping them to, to figure out how to do that again. And there's lots of different techniques, um, you know, there's the different machines I know people use, even electrostimulation sometimes. But I think mainly it's, it's just movements, it's stretches, it's exercises, it's, it's lifts that you, you do to, how to help your body to know how to work the right way again, to strengthen it again in the way it needs to be. I had a back issue earlier this year, um, kind of at the beginning of the uh, of the summer a little bit, and I had, I, I, put, I put this off forever, because I, you know, do this a lot, but I finally went and saw PT about it, and he gave me some stretches, he said, do these a couple times a day, and after a couple weeks, like, that totally fixed it. I tried a few other things before that, nothing, you know, did, did anything to help that, but doing these stretches, just kind of consistently, even though it took a little bit of time, like, it actually took about... 20 minutes to half an hour every time I had to do this, um, but doing that consistently, really throwing myself into it, even though it was a lot of work, totally like fixed it. Um, and you know, if you've ever done PT, you know a lot of times you don't really feel anything in the moment, like you don't feel you know magical healing happening in whatever body part that you're doing it for. But over time, as you sort of diligently are doing this, um, you feel that the, the it's doing its job, it's working. And so that regular rhythm of stretching and strengthening kind of make, can make us be healed or whole again. Okay, that's the, the, the point of here, I, what I want to kind of bring up. Okay, so let's step back a little bit. I think we can think of sin as a kind of injury or disease that we all have. And the gospel is the cure, Right, We repent, we acknowledge our disease, we acknowledge our tendency to dismiss that in ourselves. Uh, Jesus' death on the cross forgives us from that, from how sin has worked in and maybe through us in the rest of the world. Um, His spirit revives us, it makes new life possible, it rescues us from it. And following Jesus as Lord leads us to life and, and promises us ultimately resurrection where we will one day be totally healed, the disease no longer has any claim over us. It can't kill us. It no longer has the power to kill us anymore. We've been healed from it. We've been cured from it. But it's not just so simple as we, you know, believe that and then there's nothing we do after that. Just like in the same way that someone, you know, is saved from a stroke, but that doesn't mean, you know, that it's all done now. Everything is perfect and back to normal. There is this sort of road for recovery for them. And I think, uh, you know, Telling someone who survived a stroke, like, but they can't speak the same, just like, oh, just believe, you know, just, just do it. It, it. it should happen naturally, it should happen normally for you. We, we know that doesn't work, right? That's where these things like speech therapy would come in here. And I think the same is true for us, as we are healed and restored from sin, okay? Telling someone to just believe or just start acting righteous, just stop doing the, you know, the old stuff you did when you were in sin, does not really how it works, Right? There has to be some sort of physical therapy for us to grow, to be restored, some sort of spiritual stretches or strengthening to keep us on the path of wholeness and recovery from the sin we used to be in. And the church calls this liturgy or spiritual disciplines. That's kind of what the role of, if you've heard those words before, that's kind of the role that they have for us. And so in today's passage, Jesus gives us a kind of therapy I think, for our disease of sin and, and, and to kind of a specific one that we'll talk about to help us be restored. And that's the context of where the Lord's Prayer comes in when you really study the passage. So today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the pattern prayer. That's what R.T. France calls it in his commentary. I really liked that description of it. The pattern for us to pray consistently that is going to help us to be restored, to actually help us to know how to follow God. We'll kind of see as we pray this prayer, it actually, you know, it's not just us praying to God, it's also teaching us at the same time, okay? Now we, uh, we've actually done a whole series on the Lord's Prayer. We did it back in, uh, I think it was, Boy, it was right before COVID, I think, kind of right before that all hit, which feels makes it feel like, you know, a hundred years ago. Um, but if you, you know, where we kind of went through each section of the Lord's Prayer. So if you want to go into more depth, you'd like to hear, you know, today we're just kind of focused on the whole thing at once together and kind of in the context of all this. But I would encourage you to go back and we can kind of go through all the different clauses of it in some more depth. Um, because today what I want to do is I want to ask, what part of the disease of sin does Jesus see the Lord's Prayer as a sort of therapy for it? And kind of see it in that context. Now, we're going to be doing uh, question and response at the end of uh, the sermon, just like always. So if you'd like, if you have some kind of question, you'd like to hear my thoughts on it, um, maybe not answer the question, but try to like, give, give some kind of thought on you, or at least point you in the right direction to kind of keep thinking about that or wrestling with it, um, you can go to our website, rescitychurch.org, and you can submit a question on there. Just scroll down a little bit from the top of the page on your phone. Um, and uh, we'll try to get as many as, as we can today. And actually, speaking of that, just real briefly, last week after our sermon, we had a lot of really good questions, and we really wanted to sort of get to more of those than we had time to in the sermon. So what we're going to do is actually, uh, sometime in this week, this week, um, in the normal feed where you find the sermons to um, get posted to every week, we're actually going to have a little podcast come out where we're going to try to have a few people from Red City just kind of wrestle through those questions together. Just kind of talk about like, how do we, you know, think about what is a very, you know, challenging issue to sort of wrestle with in a lot of different, very practical ways uh, together. So anyway, if if you kind of wanted, if you didn't get your question answered or you want to hear, uh, you know, just more, kind of continue the conversation on that issue of kind of like nonviolence, of non-retaliation, of enemy love that Jesus calls us to in in that last passage, I would recommend you uh, check that out. So anyway, let's get into it though. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Okay, so what's going on here? Uh, Jesus is kind of talking about something very specific here, and I think it's tied to what we have been talking about the last few weeks. I'll get to that here in just a second. But let's break down what he specifically says here. So in verse two, he says, uh, "You know, uh, do do not announce what you do with trumpets. You know, like these hypocrites." in order to be honored by others, he says. Now that word, be honored, there in the Greek is actually the same word that Jesus uses in other other places where he talks about giving glory to God. All right, so this idea, this concept that Christians have that we're supposed to give glory, reflect glory back to the God of the universe who deserves it. Jesus says what we can do sometimes is we can try to bend that back in upon ourselves, He's saying a lot of times, you know, even when we are you know, doing something that would seem to be in the praise of God, we're doing it in such a way that we're trying to kind of you know, make sure it bounces back onto us, so that when people see us doing it, they're actually thinking not about how great God is, but how great we are. And that's what he's challenging people against here. We can have this sort of main character syndrome. I don't know if you've heard that phrase before that people often have. Of trying to make something that is supposed to be about God all about us. And he gives some examples of how it may happen. He talks about giving to the poor, doing a good deed like that, but kind of making sure everybody sees you doing it, right? Imagine yourself, you know, you know hopping on... on Facebook live and recording yourself giving a couple of bucks to someone on the side of the road one day, right? Kind of kind of like that. Like making sure everyone, you know, sees the good deed that you're doing. Or in, you know, in prayer or worship of God, you know, like you're with a group of people, you're you're praying together and you just you just go out of your way to offer up a real banger of a prayer, right? That you're just like, "Man, everybody is going to know how great of a prayer I am because of this." Right? You guys have pro- I mean, maybe you've you can think of examples where you've done that or you've been in rooms where you've seen that happen, right? There's just something about that makes us, you know, feel like, you know, we should be trying to do this at the same time. Why not kind of do both of these at once, right? Maybe in worship you've seen someone kind of, kind of you feel like this is a little bit over the top. Like it feels like you're drawing attention to yourself, right? I, I think at Res City we don't have that problem so much. Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, are very, you know, uncomfortable, I think, showing emotion in worship, and I would say, you know, I feel like sometimes we're playing a game like, who can be the most Norwegian in worship? And guess what? We're all winning, okay? Um, so it's okay for us, I think, to show emotion. It's not a bad thing to pray good prayers around other people, but we have to check our motivations when we do them and ask, you know, who's in view here? Who are we trying, uh, to, whose attention are we trying to get? And so far in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been pushing uh, us to go deeper and to you know, more and more radical depths of what it means to follow him than what we may have expected. We've kind of seen that the last few weeks especially. And so he's sketching a picture of what radical obedience in the kingdom of God looks like. But here, in this passage, he's telling us what it doesn't look like to radically follow after him. And I think here is the principle. Okay, so here's what we should take away from this. Radical obedience in God's kingdom is not measured by how good you look to the people around you. Right, radical obedience in God's kingdom is not measured by how good you look to the people around you. Now this, this seems easy to grasp, but it's apparently an all too easy thing to confuse in our minds. Right? We do it without even thinking a lot of times, Right? if we're being honest. We live in a world that is totally governed by appearances, right? Where putting in the work to appear good is worth just as much or maybe more than actually being good, right? It's why companies embrace, you know, popular social movements. It's why they're in their advertising. They talk about how, you know, conscious they are about, you know, social justice or or things that, that they know people, consumers will care about because they think it will make them look good and make people want to buy their product, It's why, you know, we put yard signs up in our yard to kind of know what type of person we are. It's why we post our righteous opinions on social media. Um, It's why we work into conversations the good deeds that we do right, whatever we might think is good or what we th- might think people around us would want to hear. I-, I remember one time, I-, I can think of an example of myself doing this. Um, I was talking with someone uh, and I, about a friend of mine, and I mentioned, it was completely irrelevant to what I was talking about this person, but I mentioned that this person was from another country. And I don't know why, like I did that. It's probably because I thought, you know, it would make me look good that everyone knows I have like a diverse group of friends, right? That's something that people have value on. And that's, I'm not, that's a good thing. That is a really good thing. But the fact that I felt like I had to work that into the conversation, totally unprompted, kind of showed where my heart was at. And the person I was talking to, to her credit, she kind of called me out on it. And she was like, you know, you shouldn't have to, to tell us this person's from another country. And I was like, you're totally right. What was I looking for In that moment. And I had to kind of think about that. And I realized it's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. I wanted to be honored in that moment. I wanted to look like I was one of the good guys. Okay, Why do we do this stuff? Why is this so important to us? Well, I think Jesus gets us to think about that a little bit. And he has a really good phrase to kind of explain what we're looking for and what happens when we do that. Okay, He says, they have received their reward in full. The people who do this stuff, by getting attention from everyone else around them, they've received their reward in full. right? In all those examples, the reward that people are looking for is not from God. Even if the thing seems to be directed at him, it's instead the uptick in sales we might get when our company puts out some statement showing how conscious we are of some social issue. It's the likes we get on social media from people who approve of our, you know, righteous opinion that we've shared. It's the feeling we get when a neighbor comes to us and asks, oh, that's a really cool yard sign. I noticed you had in your yard. Where did I get one of those? Right? It's the satisfaction we feel, uh, you know, that knowing that other people know how diverse our friend group is right? That's the reward we're looking for so often. That's why we make sure to signal those things to people around us. It's looking righteous, and it's having people acknowledge it. That's the reward we so often want. And I think deep down, we probably get that the world runs this way, and we're kind of sick of it, but we can't stop doing it either. Because I think if we admit it, feeling more righteous than everyone else around us is kind of an addicting feeling, Right? It's the kind of thing that when we, we feel it, we're like, I kind of want more of that. Right? We can get drunk on the admiration of others. right? The feeling that you know, we're not muggles. You know I'm not a muggle like everyone else around me because of how good I am. right? And making sure everyone else can see that and thinks of me as kind of in a higher view than everyone else around me. Right? You, you've seen that, right? You, you, can, you can maybe think of people that you feel like that person is... They're kind of drunk on, on this, right? Or maybe you've even, you know, you've even seen that in your own life sometime. Jesus says, if that's what you want, if that's what you're really looking for, and you work hard enough for it, you'll probably get it. I mean, like, it's, it's not a hard thing to get, probably. But that's not the reward that I've come to bring you all. That is not what the, or the, the kingdom of God is about, if you remember back to the first sermon we did, we walked through the Beatitudes, where Jesus is talking about who is blessed in God's kingdom. And we kind of talked about how it's not the people who are getting all the attention from their peers. Remember, Jesus kind of flips a bunch of, you know, the expectations we might have about who is blessed and how we would, we would know that on, the, on its head. And, and we find that it is the people who have God's attention who are blessed, and so, like a, a physical therapist or an occupational therapist gives us exercises to heal from an injury and get on the right path, Jesus, who is the cure to our disease, for sin, but also now playing the role of the physical therapist, gives us some PT to kind of keep us focused on obeying God. That's where he kind of moves in, in this section now. And first he talks about secrecy. Remember in the passage he talked about this. He talked about secrecy. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Go into your closet and pray where no one else can see you doing what you're doing. Secrecy ensures that we can't get the attention of others. It's kind of by default. No one can see what you're doing except for for God. And it drains us of the opportunity to get the reward we might secretly want, the admiration of others. And, And in doing so, it gives us the space to focus on honoring God instead of trying to get that honor that's supposed to go to Him bounce back on us. So here's a challenge, okay? I'm gonna gonna give you a challenge, like what Jesus is saying here. The next time you do something that you feel is actually like a really good thing, don't tell anyone about it. Literally, don't tell anyone about it, okay? Don't post it on social media. Don't mention it in conversation. Just let it be something that only God sees you do. Just see what that feels like um, and get into that sort of physical therapy of doing things not for the benefit of others' admiration, but because God calls us to do it. Next, Jesus gives us this sort of exercise of his special prayer, okay? One of the things he's, ta- he's talking about is how we, you know, so often in our prayers might want to get the admiration of others. And he's talking about a specific thing that, you know, might have been a lot more common probably in his time than in ours. But he says, okay, if you want to avoid this problem, pray like this, okay? So there's something about this prayer that is going to keep us from praying in a way that is going to try to grab attention or admiration for ourselves, and so just like doing occupational therapy or physical therapy daily trains us to move right, healing us and restoring us, praying the Lord's Prayer consistently, uh, you know, maybe even daily, putting it into your daily routines, helps to form us to love and desire what God does, to obey Jesus, and heals us from the need to be noticed um, by, and glorified by others. All right, So that's what we're going to talk about here as we move forward a little bit. And I just want to go through each section of the Lord's Prayer. But let me read the whole thing to you first of all, just so it's, it's fresh in your minds. Matthew 6, 9-13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, so let's walk through each of these sections here and just kind of dive into them in a little bit more detail. First off, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So, okay, let's just, I want to focus in on one specific part of this today. The designation that we're ascribing to God, the way we're addressing him as we open prayer up is by calling him our Father. Our Father. It puts us in a posture of uh, relating to someone with whom we have a close relationship with. Okay? If you read the rest of the Gospels, Jesus is often calling God his Father. And it is sort of, you know, he's using it as a way to say, I have a special relationship with God. It's, it's unique, it's different than the way that anyone else was talking, anyone else, especially those who might challenge him and say, oh, he doesn't actually represent God. It was a way for him to say, no, I do. I have a special relationship with them, And here, He's inviting us to have this special relationship with God as well and to reflect that in our prayers. Now, a parent is, among other things, someone who we feel safe around. Uh, There's someone whose intentions we trust. When we see God as Father, we can rest in that love and not need to get the attention from other people to feel like we have worth or value or there's something good about us. Okay, when we see ourselves in that loving relationship from God our Father, we don't need to try to get it from people around us. Right? You who are parents in this room, you know that you are going to love your kid no matter how other people view him. Right? You, don't, you don't care that other kids might tease your kid for whatever kids tease each other for. Right? Whatever your kid does that might bring ire from the people around them, you know your love for them is going to stay the same no matter what our relationship with God as our Father is is like that too. He doesn't care how good we look to people around us. He's going to love us no matter what. And so when we pray to him, we ought to reflect that understanding. Now, Jesus talks a little bit more about God as Father in relation to prayer a little bit later on in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's jump ahead to uh, Matthew 7, 7 to 11. We'll do verses 7 and 8 here to start. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, when we read this passage again, this is another one of those famous passages from the Sermon on the Mount, um, and it's the kind of thing you you know might stick on like a. a a little poster in your house, right? It's kind of one of those kinds of verses. When we read this, though, it's easy to picture prayer kind of like Amazon Prime, right? You ask for it and boom, here we go. It's there in in two days or less. And also, people who have prayed for the item you just prayed for often pray for this item too, so maybe you'd like to pray for that also, right? (laughs) Now, in that kind of a relationship, there's no one on the other end that we're talking to about it right? It's just you going and getting what you want. There is no one who might suggest that maybe that shirt you're about to order doesn't look as good on you as you might think it does, right? Uh, or maybe that we don't really need another pair of shoes. Maybe we ought to be searching in another part of the Amazon Prime sh- uh, shopping mall, right? Maybe, maybe go to a different store in there. There might be something there that you could actually use that is more important than this, Okay? Prayer is simple. Okay? I think it's important that we see prayer as simple, but it's not simple in the way that online shopping is simple. We're in a conversation when we enter into prayer, which means the other side weighs into. Okay? It's in the context of relationship. And that adds layers to what's going on when we pray, but not bad ones. Right? It adds maybe limits, it maybe adds uh, accountability to what we're praying for, okay? it adds uh, wisdom to us as we go and we pray for things. And so Jesus kind of continues this. And again, he uses the imagery of a father, of a parent, to help kind of make the point clear to us as we understand what's going on in prayer. So he says, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So there's a lot to unpack here in this, in this passage, all right? But think about it. Again, for you as parents, or, 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 or you, even if we're not, we can understand this. Imagine your kid asks you for something good. They're like, I would like a book to help me to learn to do this thing that you've been like, waiting for them to get excited about and hopefully learn and grow in, okay? There's going to be nothing that's going to stop you from giving that book to your kid, right? Like, that would be, you know... You, you would never deprive your child of this thing that you wanted to see them grow in. You wouldn't tell them, no, I don't want you to read that book. Here's an iPad. Netflix is logged in. Go to town. You wouldn't tell them that, right? That would be like giving them a snake or a stone when they've asked for a, 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 some bread or a fish. But you can spin it the other way, too. And I think this is something to kind of think about as well. Imagine that the kid came to the parent and asked for the iPad with the Netflix logged in so that they could just, you know, w- you know put an entire day towards watching, um, you know, Is It Cake or something else on Netflix. And you said, no, but here's something else instead. What if you read this book here and said, m- wouldn't that, that might actually be something that would be more valuable to you, okay? That'd be like if your kid came and asked you, right? Hey, can you give me a snake? I would really like to play with a snake right now. And you're like, how about you play with a fish instead? Or, you know, maybe here's a loaf of bread that you can eat instead of trying to eat a rock. Okay? Okay? Think about how, you know, a good parent doesn't just give their kid a snake or a stone if they ask for it as well. And I think that's what God, as Father, does for us too. And I think that's where the relationship of all this is really important. Okay? When we ask for something good, God is inclined to answer us, to give that to us. If we ask for something trivial or maybe even dangerous, a good parent would not give that to us. In fact, when you really study uh, the the Bible, you see that when God does give us things that we want, that are not good, that's actually judgment. That's actually not him operating as a good parent. It's him kind of giving us over, maybe to our rejection or, or rebellion against him. So to return to the Lord's Prayer... By telling us how to pray, which is what's going to continue to happen here as we go on, the prayer itself is going to help us know what is, a, what is bread, what is a fish, and maybe from that we can infer what might be a snake or a stone as well, okay? So we see that very clearly in this next part of the, of the, of the prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Okay, the Lord's Prayer keeps us from using prayer as a sort of online customer, uh, you know, ordering interface, right? Where we just go and tell God whatever the heck we want and he gives it to us and if we don't get it, we, you know, put in a complaint to a customer service or something like that, right? Instead, God is saying, no, when you ask for stuff, here's where I want you to start, okay? It's not just to, uh, it teaches us what to desire, right? We learn from the prayer As we pray it, I think that's so cool. We are learning what we should be praying for, what we should desire from God as we are regularly praying this. Okay, in heaven, God's name is honored, His kingship, it is acknowledged, His will is done, and the prayer wants that to be true around us as well. It longs for God and and what is true of him, for his name to be honored, for his will to be done, to not be just confined to heaven, but to be a reality on earth as well. And so what matters to our Father is that his reign is made known on earth, that people are brought to uh, salvation, they are healed, that they're brought into relationship with him so that the whole world might be made new as a result. And so as we pray this, we're forced to reflect on this question, maybe as we bring other prayer requests to God. What might it look like for God's will to happen in this situation that I'm praying about right now? How could that modify my request to him? Okay, based on what I know about God, based on what I know about what his kingdom looks like, maybe I should filter my prayer requests through the lens of what would it look like for God's will to be done in this place, for his name to be honored, for his reign to be made known in this specific situation. And that changes us, right? Prayer is not just supposed to be something that maybe changes God's mind, but changes us too. Again, it's a relationship. It's a conversation. Now to pray this honestly, it's difficult because I think we really like control. And we try to exercise control through our prayers sometimes. But I think giving up that control to God by praying that His will will be done is a very healthy practice, a kind of essential therapy that we need to recover fully from the disease of sin. Now, God doesn't just want us to pray for His agenda only, though. There is space in the Lord's prayer for us to come to Him with specific requests, to pray for Him, uh, to pray to Him about our needs, Give us today our daily bread. Right, I think that's, you know, literally not asking God, hey, can you can you have a, can I get a loaf of bread today? Like it's a it's a prayer that is expressing to God, you know, here's what I need. Here's what I you know, I need bread to get by on a daily basis. Can you supply me with that? But notice the prayer is keeping us focused on today's needs, right? Our daily bread. Okay, both today and need, I think are really important there. Jesus is telling us to pray for what we need, not necessarily what we might want. And to not just worry about, uh, you know, a year from now or even a, a week from now, but to focus on today when we pray. I think we don't need to have everything taken care of for the rest of our lives now. We like the certainty of that, right? We like to know that our retirement is taken care of, right? We like to know what our schedule for the whole year is going to look like. We like to plan that kind of stuff out in advance, but we don't always need to have all that stuff taken care of, right? We need to know that God has got us in in a good spot today and that he'll do the same tomorrow and the day after that. That's what we really need. And again, you know, we don't need to have the most expensive Uh, item on the menu, right? Bread is going to sustain us just in the same way a a $50 meal at a really fancy restaurant is going to sustain us. Bread gets the job done in the same way, right? Anything else is just a blessing. And that's, you know, God blesses us beyond bread sometimes. That's good that, and we should thank him when he does it, but we don't need that as much as we might think we do. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that Jesus is telling us literally that we should go day-to-day, not knowing where our food or all the other needs that we might have are going to come from. We literally wake up in the morning, we pray the prayer, and we just expect manna from heaven to be at the front door, right? That's not what Jesus is saying here, but I think that he is calling us to a humble, simple lifestyle where we understand that we rely on God for our day-to-day needs. Okay, a mindset of extravagance might be looking for everyone else's approval, right? But a humble, simple one is content with God's only and trusts him to supply what we might need, even if we don't know for sure what tomorrow is going to look like or what next week is going to look like. All right, let's move on to the next part here. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Now Jesus here, he uses the word debt, but he is referring to sin. I think that's kind of clear because when you read um, some of the parables that he gives, he uses debt as an analogy for sin there pretty clearly. Now debt is a good analogy in this time and space because it is a very major problem in the ancient world. Like many, many people uh, were in debt at this time. So the analogy really worked. But I think it's still a translate here today, right? I mean, a lot of us are at that stage of our lives. where. We're paying off our college debt right now and, you know, it's a big number. It's not a small number to look at to kind of be trying to pay that off. So we can understand. And maybe, maybe you are fortunate enough to have gotten that debt paid off. You know, think about the, the joy that you had when that debt was taken care of, right? Jesus wants us to have that in mind when we think about our debt being forgiven by God. Now, we have been released from debt by Jesus. This is not a a prayer that we have to pray every day in order to sort of keep that in effect or something. Um, We aren't good because he makes us look good to others, just like we've been talking about. We're good because he, he has made us good. He has forgiven us our debt. But when we pray this, we have to reflect on the patterns of life that we have, right? Uh, engaging in the patterns of living that put us in debt in the first place, right? These sinful patterns that we're called to be restored from, I think we can all agree, is only, a, only ever a negative development, right? It is not what we sh- should be, you know, looking like as we follow after Jesus. To continue to act in the way that might have, you know, despite the fact we've been forgiven our debt, that would, you know, it's the kind of thing that got us in debt in the first place. So in effect, the prayer keeps us continually repenting, searching ourselves out, which I also think is an essential therapy for our restoration. It makes us pause and think whenever we pray it, reflecting on our conduct towards God uh, and others by what we've done and maybe what we've left undone. All right, let's end here with, with the last clause of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now these last two are kind of acknowledging that we can, uh, you know, what can keep us from living as kingdom people, right? In, 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 the, in the PT analogy that we've kind of been using throughout the sermon, trying to keep us stuck in an injury or disease. Okay, now the word temptation here is a is a Greek word perasmas, which can also mean trial or testing. So it's kind of a hard word to translate fully into English. And again. The, we kind of dove right into that idea in that sermon series we did a few years ago. So if you'd like to you know, get into that a little more, I'd recommend you check that out. But as it connects to us today, what we're praying is, keep us from trial and temptation, which will hinder restoration. It will knock us off course. Keep us from going back to the practices which led to our injury in the first place. Keep us safe from that. And similarly, the final clause, deliver us... From evil or from the evil one. Okay? What this is doing is it's inviting us to uh, you know, peek behind the curtain a little bit. Okay? Yes, we are free from sin. Yes, Jesus the PT is here. He's giving us therapies to grow past the disease, to become new creation kingdom people he's called us to. But it's not quite that simple. Right? It, it's kind of reminding us that other darker forces are at work, ones that prefer to see us uh, spreading the disease rather than being restored from it. An essential part of our restoration is the acknowledgement of this reality and asking God to protect us from it. Okay? It opens up to us up to kind of a wider world, one that is more complex than maybe the, the, the way we can think of it sometimes, and it keeps us in that mindset as we go about our day-to-day lives too. All right, so to kind of wrap up here today, we've been talking about how this prayer and how praying it regularly is like a lot of practices we might get at a physical therapist. It's going to help us to uh, heal, to be restored. But let's step back a little bit, okay? Again, maybe you've gone through this before, or maybe it is your profession. Um, I think we would all admit that the best physical therapists or occupational therapists are ones who don't just give their clients good exercises, but ones whose relationship with them, whose presence, when they do that, is equally therapeutic. Okay, Whether it's through gentleness, inviting the patient into a welcoming environment, or encouraging them on hard days, being with them in the challenge that can often come through you know, healing from a difficult injury, helping them out when they fall down, reminding them that restoration and healing is possible, and painting a road for recovery to them. And maybe something just as simple as that warm presence that can be felt with them as you spend time with them maybe every, every day or every week. I think ultimately for us, the greatest thing that we can do to be healed, to be restored from everything that God restores us from is simply to be in God's presence. And prayer is the primary mode of us entering into that. Again, it's simple. It's something we do every day But it is inviting us into this relationship that's going to restore us. And in the same way that physical therapy is a methodical, sometimes routine process where you know what is what matters is happening in a way we can't always see or feel it. Okay? Praying the Lord's Prayer is us opening ourselves up to God so that He can slowly but intentionally do the same for us. And we're gonna see the effects on us, maybe not in that moment not right after we're finished praying it, but we're going to see the effects of it if we're doing this over the long term, seeing us being shaped into the kind of people who are restored, who look like the kind of people that Jesus is calling us to be, strengthening us, healing and restoring us, making us to be a countercultural people that are radically living in obedience to the God of the universe who's called us into his presence. So here we are. The physical therapist has given us the exercise to be with him through the prayer that he's given us, praying in that pattern, praying in that mentality. But he can't do the exercises for us. We have to do it ourselves. It's on us to to do them daily and to let that have its sort of healing and strengthening effect on us. All right, so with that, let's do a little bit of Q&R, and then we'll enter into a time of worship and communion. All right, our first question um so this person says, when Jesus heals people, he often adds, go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. So how does that fit with kind of what you're describing with this idea of mm-hmm. um, the physical therapy analogy and the idea that uh, we still wrestle with sin? Yeah. I mean, but that's, I mean, I think that's a great example of it, right? He, he is saying, like, don't do this anymore. But I think, like, again, by him giving us this teaching, by him, you know, if, if that's all Jesus you know, needed to do. Like the gospels would be a lot shorter, right? It would have been him showing up kind of proclaiming announcement and then booking it. But he gives us this whole sermon. This is supposed to teach us and help us to know what it means for us to sin no more, to follow him in a kind of a radical way. Uh, Jesus gives his life over to his disciples. He spends time with them. He continues to teach them through parables. Like all that he does is sort of helping them to know what it actually looks like for them to go sin no more. Because just saying, you know, go and sin no more does not necessarily tell you, well, this is what that's going to look like for you. And so I think for us as people who are told to go and sin no more, that's the goal, but that's something that we have to continue to grow in throughout our entire lives. And, uh, you know, the work that Jesus gives us to do is going to help us to know how we can do that well. I don't think it's an expectation that we would literally never, ever sin ever again. All right, and then our last question for today, uh, can you explain the balance of evangelism versus private prayer? This person notes that it feels at odds with each other. Sure. Um, I, I, I'm assuming you, you kind of mean just like, um, like maybe praying around people, you know, like, or praying for them even, like if, you know, as a way to kind of show them you care, that God cares about them as sort of in a, in a way to invite them to experience uh, God's love. Um, yeah, uh, I think that's a good question. Um, if, I'm sorry if that's not what you, what you meant when you asked that question. I'm gonna talk about it the way I, I'm interpreting it. But um, I think that the again, what Jesus is calling us to. I, I don't think Jesus is literally saying like don't pray around anybody ever. I don't think that's necessarily what the point of this is. I mean, again, with a lot of the stuff we've talked about in the in the Sermon on the Mount, like when we, it's it's helpful to look at kind of what people do afterwards. So, you know, he says, if you sin, uh, you know, you should cut off your hand or gouge out your eye to keep you from doing it. Well, we look at the rest of the New Testament and Christian history, and like, no one was doing that, right? And so, that kind of helps us understand. He's, he's challenging us to sort of, you know, a, a principle, but he's not telling us to do something literally. And I think, similar to here, the principle is, um, don't do the work you do just to kind of get approval from other people. Do it to truly honor God. And there are times where praying around other people is going to honor God. I mean, if we took this, you know, incredibly literally, like at church every Sunday, instead of praying together, we would tell you to scatter throughout the building and hide in, you know, a bathroom stall, you know, so that you aren't seen by other people. But again, I don't think that that's the point. I think the point is to Check our motivations, and if at times we find we are looking for people's approval in what we do, which is, you know, easy to do, sometimes we might need to, uh, you know, do some some stuff in, in private. So again, uh, praying in front of people, I don't think that Jesus is saying, you know, literally, I don't want you to do this. I think it, many times it is very good. Um, you know, we learn to pray from other people praying around us, and and so, um, yeah. But just in that ask yourself, well, what is the reward I'm looking for here? And I think, um, be willing to, you know, have a challenging answer come back to you sometimes. So yeah, good questions. Um, Let's uh, pray here. Let's go into a time of communion and and worship, and we'll uh, wrap up the service. Um, Lord, we thank you that you have healed us. You have cured us of our disease, God. We have no reason to fear its effects on us, Um, but you call us to grow as well, Lord. You want us to to not just stay in that place of just being cured, but to be restored back to wholeness, God. To be made new again, continually, over and over again in our lives. And so, Lord, we thank you that you have uh, given us this prayer and many other things to help us to do that, God. Walk with us as we grow, Lord. Help us to celebrate the fact that you have uh, freed us from sin. You you have saved us, um, and that you continue to call us to grow more and more into the image of your son, Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen.